Hi, this is Kendall Boyson, professional life and recovery coach, and you're listening to Encouragementology, the practice of instilling hope. Hi there. Thanks for joining me. On this show, we aren't giving up, but staying in there, focused, and moving forward as we master the art of being politely persistent instead of pushy. Now, that may come easy to you, or you might be conjuring up a memory of being walked over, easily discounted, bossy, and demanding. Whichever seems like more your speed, finding a delicate balance can be difficult. Not to fear. We're going to walk through these behaviors to try on what might work best for you. The important part to remember is that you're in control of your own actions and reactions, and that being your best and giving your all is up to you. So many times we're easily detoured at the first sign of resistance, or we barrel through unannounced and unaware, making sure the outcome is in our favor. Hmm, this is going to be fun. Ready to explore the pendulum? I've been in sales my whole adult life, but even before I acquired those skills, I was born with a few of my own. The gift of gab, natural-born negotiation, and not easily accepting the word no. Yes, that one got me into trouble more than once. One of the things you learn as a salesperson is that no just means not now, and that you might need to finesse your value proposition to better match the client's needs, but that's for another show. You also learn that being pushy or aggressive will get you shut down and shut out, which is not a good place to be when you rely on a prospective client's purchases today and in the future. So it's imperative that you find a balance, persistent, not pushy. I had a client tell me that about myself one time. I think I apologized for continuing to push him, and he said, you're politely persistent, not pushy. What a relief, and it's something that's stuck with me ever since. We sell in everything we do. We sell people on our ideas. We negotiate terms. We follow up, and we close deals. What more can we learn from the art of selling that we could carry into our everyday actions? Alex Smirnoff gives us the top six lessons you'll learn from working in sales found at badgermapping.com. Now, you don't have to work in sales to see how this would apply in your everyday life. So stick with me. Here are six most important life lessons you'll learn from a career of sales. So see, we're jumping right to the result. Number one. How to talk to new people. The first major lesson you learn in sales is how to overcome the fear of talking to new people. Meeting new people becomes easier the more you do it. And in sales, you do it and you do it a lot. Becoming comfortable with conversation will open doors for you. Interacting with people daily makes you realize how valuable relationships are. The larger your network is, the easier it will be for you to make new connections. You'll have the skills to develop a professional and personal network that pays dividends. CBS News agrees, your network is the most valuable asset for a successful career. Developing networking and strong interpersonal skills helps you get ahead in every area of life. Number two, work smarter, not harder. 
Although hard work is extremely important, keep this phrase in mind, work smarter, not harder. One of the best things you'll learn from sales is that there are a lot of different resources and apps that you can use to make your life easier. Every day, we have access to more technology resources to help optimize our lives and give us more time. By delegating your busy work to an app, you'll be able to put your focus on what really matters. In this case, closing more deals, but you can apply that to your own needs. As a salesperson, apps that save you time can optimize each part of your daily routine, such as lead generation tools, route optimization, CRM tools, you know, the biz. Number three, how to deal with rejection. Whether you're in sales or not, you'll face a lot of rejection in life. Losing an opportunity never feels good, but sales can help you handle it like a pro. You'll talk to a lot of people who tell you no, so you learn not to take it personally. You have to realize that when someone says no, they aren't saying no to you. They're saying no to the idea. Letting things go and learning how to overcome sales objections will give you the psychological skills to persevere in any situation in life. Having thick skin and dealing with rejection in a healthy way is a great life skill to learn from sales. Everyone you'll meet will have a bad day now and then. Shrugging off a rude response helps you stay focused on your overall goals. At the end of the day, sales is a numbers game. You have to put yourself out there again and again. The best way to improve is to fail. You'll learn from your mistakes and become better. In sales, becoming better means closing more deals. All it takes is consistency. The best salespeople have been rejected countless times, but they never give up. Number four, the art of persuasion without being annoying or pushy. Learning how to ethically persuade people is an investment in every area of your life. However, there is a fine line between being pushy and persuasive. Your prospects are typically fine without your product. Don't ever forget that. But every product exists because it's supposed to help make someone's life easier or better. The sales process is different for every industry, but learning how to show your product's value and allowing your prospects to be the decision makers helps them feel more comfortable when buying. You could apply this even for an idea that you're trying to sell to a group of friends. Finding the perfect balance between persuading and helping is key. Persuasion is an art. There is an entire genre of self-help books and helpful articles on how to be more persuasive. A job in sales will teach you that understanding what your client needs is the first step to persuading them. When speaking to prospects or anyone in your life, make sure to be confident, knowledgeable, and polite while using logic, truth, and positive language. They won't want to purchase your product unless they're sure that what you have to offer will fulfill the need they have. Number five, how to listen more than you talk. Another lesson you learn in sales is how to actively listen. Your customer should be talking more than you. 
When talking with prospects, you should listen to their problems and help them find a solution. Yes, even if it means directing them away from your company. The prospect will appreciate the help and understand that you have their best interest in mind. By listening more than you talk, you learn how to ask the right questions at the right time. A job in sales teaches you how to ask the right questions to get your prospect talking. By listening to them, you allow them to become comfortable doing business with you. In this case, telling you their most deepest desires. People love talking about themselves, so let them talk. Take advantage of the opportunity to listen and build a relationship with trust. By listening attentively, you'll also learn what someone wants without them explicitly saying it. People often say one thing while meaning another. They may not realize what they're really communicating, but by listening, you will understand their real needs. This will make you a better salesperson and a friend. Listening is a skill that many people don't take the steps to improve, but It's one of the best ways to build trust between people. Number six, prioritization and self-discipline. Prioritizing your time is difficult and staying on top of everything can be challenging. It's hard to decide what to do to maximize your efficiency on the job. You have to take into account the level of importance and the urgency of each task. Your sales experience will teach you that every decision you make has an opportunity cost to it. How to prioritize in sales? Well, with every decision being important for your productivity, organizing a schedule may seem a little intimidating at times. However, it is very important to take one hour of your day to organize and prioritize. This can help boost your efficiency for the entire week. Once you have your schedule set, it's even more important to stick to it. Being self-disciplined and following through with your schedule is an important lesson to learn in sales and in life. Having a good work ethic and accomplishing your goals for the day are even more important than making your list of priorities. It's great to have a list, but does it really help if it doesn't get done? Making the most of your time at work makes you happier and more productive which in turn makes your coworkers and clients happier as well. And guess what? When you get home, you're on top of the world. Prioritizing your time by focusing on the people that actually need your product is how great salespeople find success. There are only 24 hours in the day, and it's impossible to speak with everyone. You must choose what to do during those hours to find success. Time is precious in sales. So you want to optimize as much as you can. Be as productive as possible. Learning to delegate some of the busy work to apps or assistants can really help you be more productive. Less time doing administrative work means more time closing deals. Think about your delegation at home and in your own personal life as well. What can you give away? I'm watching Columbo from start to finish. Now, in case you aren't familiar, this is a detective series that ran in the late 60s through 70s. Columbo, played by Peter Falk, was lieutenant for the LAPD. Columbo was not your standard TV crime drama, since each show started out showing you the murder and who did it. Enter Columbo, disheveled, bumbling, childlike at times, but 
persistent. And you have what is now coined the Columbo Technique. He had an art of pushing people to the edge, but always being polite. I love how he would challenge the obvious and then watch the suspect squirm, giving every other plausible idea to throw them off track, all the while confirming their guilt. He was great at reading people and distracting them when necessary and then going in with the hard questions. What drove people mad is that he always came back again. Persistent, and right before they lost it, most of the time, he would graciously make his exit. Here is an example of his technique found at changingminds.org. Columbo uses a questioning technique that's been successfully adopted by more than just policemen. Columbo uses two steps in his method. Number one, getting them talking. And then number two, slip in a real question. Columbo starts with casual, open questions just to put the other person at ease and to get them freely talking. His shabby dress and ambling gait signals that he is harmless. When he talks, his confused demeanor further indicates a level of apparent incompetence, confirming the first impression of harmlessness. He's friendly and a welcome change from the other more threatening policemen who are often around, making this subtle use of good cop, bad cop hurt and rescue routine. His insequential chatter loosens their tongues and before long, they're happily engaged in distracting conversation. When the other person is sufficiently relaxed and Columbo has achieved good bonding, he slips in a question about what he really wants to know. One of the tricks he uses is to phrase the question indirectly. If he wants to know whether a person drives a red car, he picks up something red and talks about a car he used to have that was the same shade of red. The conversation might go something like this. This is a nice clock. You know, I used to have a car exactly the same color as this. Chevy it was. Hey, I got a red Chevy. Have you? Well, you know, mine was pretty good. Well, mine's a 56 special convertible. There aren't too many of those around. Yeah, I got it from a guy on 52nd Street. And now, Columbo has found a very useful clue without the other person ever realizing that they just gave it away. The other variant that Columbo used again and again when the other person's defenses were down were to add one last question just as he was leaving. Oh, uh, is that your cousin's car outside? The person being questioned has already reached closure on the session and is looking forward to the complete closure of being left alone. Columbo's question catches them off guard and they answer him without thinking just to get him out of the way. And one last thing, one last thing statements, not questions, can also be used to leave the person in a state of tension as Columbo drops a big gotcha just before he leaves and without letting the other person achieve closure by responding, oh yes, I forgot. Your cousin said he lent you the car last week. Brilliant. Even though some of the people being questioned would say he was pushy and crossing the line, but nine times out of ten, they were the murderer. Being persistent pays off. Sure, everyone would like to hit a hole in one or a home run their first time up to bat, but the odds of that happening every time are not in your favor. So what's the alternative? Nope, didn't happen. Guess I'll just take my club or bat and head home now. 
No, you step up and you try it again and again. And maybe some modification is necessary. And then you try it again. Only you can move you forward. Z. Herford explains the power of persistence found at EssentialLifeSkills.net. Calvin Coolidge sums up the quality of persistence. Nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unusual men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. The slogan, press on, has solved and always will solve the problems of the human race. The conventional definition of persistence is refusing to give up or let go. Persevering obstinately. Firm and obstinate continuance in a course of action in spite of difficult or opposition. Is it any wonder then that persistence is the fundamental difference between a successful outcome and a failed outcome? In that case, it behooves us to develop the vital quality of persistence. So here are some tips on developing persistence and perseverance. Decide what you want to accomplish and set goals. We all know how important setting goals is for achieving success in any endeavor. So take some time to figure out what you want. Do you want to lose 10 pounds, graduate from college, run a marathon, or be a business success? In a study done in New York several years ago, researchers surprisingly found that people who set clear, concise goals succeeded in achieving them 95% of the time. Interestingly, the one caveat or stipulation was that they only achieved their goals if they refused to quit and continue to bounce back from difficulties along the way. Indeed, no significant feat has ever been accomplished without the trials and tribulations that go along with it. Prepare for obstacles and setbacks. Know and accept that there will be obstacles and setbacks, then prepare for them. Nothing important was ever accomplished without adversity, setbacks, and difficulties to contend with along the way. Henry Ford went bankrupt three times before he managed to design his first automobile. As we all know and are grateful for, he succeeded. He also succeeded to become one of the richest men in the world. He said, failure is merely an opportunity to more intelligently begin again. Thomas Edison is said to have tried 10,000 times to create the light bulb before he succeeded. His attitude was, I have not failed. I just found 10,000 ways that don't work. Persistence is definitely the difference between a successful outcome and a failed one due to giving up. One of the ways you can prepare for setbacks and obstacles is to anticipate potential problems and have a contingency plan. For example, if you're trying to lose weight, you must know that there will be occasions when it's not possible to stick to your weight loss regimen. In such cases, you'll need to prepare alternative meals ahead of time or be mentally prepared to deviate from your regimen. Unfortunately, instead of allowing for and being prepared in such situations, many people give up entirely, declaring it's impossible to stick to any diet. In doing so, they often sabotage all healthy eating and just give up in despair. 
Another example would be training to become a marathon runner and you fail on your first attempt at finishing a marathon. Should you give up and never try again? No, not at all. You would have to figure out where you may have um, miscalculated your fitness level and any types of food that you ate for your training that maybe you shouldn't have or foods that you should eat. After doing some research to find out how to improve, you would then give it another whirl. Also, keep in mind that when you're overwhelmed with a problem or difficulty, we don't have time to develop the persistence necessary to deal with the particular obstacle or setback. However, if we plan in advance for life's inevitable ups and downs, we will be psychologically ready when they come upon us. Take the first step. You can't persevere much, less succeed, if you never try accomplishing anything. So many of us procrastinate, fear failure, or are too frozen in our tracks to take the first step towards achievement. You will not fail if you don't try something. However, you won't succeed either. As the popular saying goes, the only real failure in life is the failure to try. Review, reevaluate, and revise. If things don't work out the way you hoped they would, then review the steps you took and the process you followed. Reevaluate by examining what went wrong and where. What didn't work? What could you have done better? Did you have all the necessary skills and tools? Your findings will be most illuminating and in turn also will let you set up for a more comprehensive approach in the future. You will revise and improve the current strategy and you may have to do it more than once. Garner support and encouragement. Stay away from naysayers. Instead, seek advice from those experienced in your field of endeavor and those who want you to succeed. They can assist you by making suggestions and recommendations based on their experience and expertise. You will still have to do the hard work, but there's nothing more encouraging than having positive reinforcement. Maintain focus. One of the obstacles to attaining success is losing motivation and focus. A good way to maintain focus is to visualize yourself accomplishing your goal no matter what it takes. Vividly see yourself accomplishing your goal. Keep your eye on the prize. Avoid getting caught up in negative or unproductive thinking such as, this will never work. I can't do this. Instead, keep inspiring slogans handy. Images of those who have persevered in life and whatever else will motivate and boost your drive. Enjoy. The greatest feeling of accomplishment derives from knowing you've overcome obstacles and conquered adversities to achieve your goals. Your ultimate success will be exponentially more satisfying and fulfilling when you know what it took to get there. I love using the self-awareness tools on the journey of self-discovery. Oh boy, we can get rooted in our own way of thinking, the way we view ourselves and the world around us. We create concrete ideas that can't be broken. We stand solid in our beliefs and protect them fiercely. 
people. Despite any old adage you may have heard and believed, you can always learn something new. You're never fully evolved. How could you be? The world is rapidly changing around you that on any typical day, you can barely keep up. Imagine if you drew a line in the sand and said, that's it. I've learned all that I can. I've mastered everything. That's it. I'm done. Fully baked. Holy cow. By week's end, you would be out of date and ready for an upgrade. We are talking about persistence, being pushy, and potentially polite. Look in the mirror. We're talking about you and your behavior, as well as how others act. So looking at life from all angles will serve us well. Carolyn Stieber sheds a light on nine habits you don't realize can make you seem overbearing, found at bustle.com. It can be tough to tell the difference between true assertiveness and habits that come off as too pushy, since they can both deal with getting you what you want, telling people what you think, and having things go your way. But while assertiveness is a great skill to develop, and you should use it as often as necessary, pushiness can actually end up holding you back. When people are being assertive, they're expressing their needs in direct, open, honest ways while still being respectful of the other person's needs and preferences. This comes from psychotherapist Simone Sobel. When people are being pushy, only their needs count, while others' needs are pushed aside, minimized, or ignored. These habits tend to negatively impact how people see you, whether or not they'll want to work with you or how healthy your relationships will end up being, which is why it's important to be aware of them. It can certainly have an impact in that others may avoid you or pull away from you. That's by therapist Julie Williamson. She told Bustle, we can rein in these habits by practicing mindfulness and setting boundaries as well as making a few small adjustments during everyday interactions. Here are some habits that can come off as pushy, according to the experts. So we'll kind of see how we react to these. Number one, pressuring people into making commitments. Whether you're needing someone at work or texting a friend a million times until they agree to hang out, pressuring people into making commitments can easily seem overbearing. You may be in a time crunch and need to know if they're committed or not. But they may also need some time to consider if they can't make such a commitment. In this situation, it's better to find fair middle ground. Make sure you ask them with enough time for them to consider their answer and then give them a date you'll check back in if you haven't heard from them. At that point, go ahead and follow up. Number two, steering conversations back to yourself. While it might be tempting to direct conversations back to what you'd like to say, keep in mind that everyone should have a chance to share their thoughts first. People want to be able to talk about themselves without the intention being taken away from their experience. That comes from therapist Katie Leakum. She tells Bustle, which is why it can help to listen more than we react. Once you put this habit into practice, it's easier to tell when the conversation has shifted back to you, at which point you can share what's on your mind.
Number three, being too quick to respond. It's natural to get excited about certain topics and respond right away. But if you find that you're constantly cutting people off as they talk, considering taking a breath before responding. It will help you not only appear more thoughtful and considerate, but help you choose your words more carefully. Number four, barging in on someone's alone time. Whether it's a friend, a roommate, a partner, or even a coworker, encroaching on someone's alone time can make it seem like you don't respect them. Take your relationship, for example. It's understandable that couples need to spend quality time together to forge their relationship. But this can't supersede the need to develop the self, says Samantha Morrison, a health and wellness expert. Your partner may even start to feel resentful if you continue to take away their precious alone time. So try to establish boundaries that you can both respect and then stick to them. Number five giving unsolicited advice. Another way to come off as overbearing, even when it's not your goal, is by offering unsolicited advice. But this is especially true if you give advice and then don't pay close attention to the response you get to see if the other person was receptive or not. Doing so can make it look like you were just telling them what to do instead of actually caring or listening. So again, the goal should be to truly hear them out before sharing your opinion. Pay attention, slow down, breathe, think before you speak. Give some space to yourself and others in the conversation. You'll notice a big difference in how they respond. Number six, not taking no for an answer. Now somebody is speaking my language. If someone tells you that they can't do something, it's important to respect it instead of calling again, pushing back, or pestering them. Hmm. If you're constantly trying to change people's minds or negotiating, this will make you seem pushy. No is someone setting a boundary or letting you know their limits, so negotiate at your own risk because it may come across as off-putting. Okay, heard. Number seven, making all the decisions. Whether at work or in your relationship, there are so many opportunities to take charge and make decisions. And you should do so whenever it feels right. But don't forget that the other person may want to make the decisions too. If you're someone that always volunteers to lead, you may want to take a step back. While you may think that you're lessening everyone's burden by volunteering, you may actually be depriving them of an opportunity to shine. That's not to say you should sit back or be quiet, far from it. But since it's easy to go overboard when calling the shots, keep in mind that it should be more of a 50-50 thing. Number eight, planning everything down to the minute. Many pushy people go overboard when it comes to making plans which they often expect everyone to agree with. For example, when people come to town to visit, do you already have an itinerary of where to go and what to do? This can be helpful with a passive group, but over time will rub people the wrong way. While you may love to plan, it never hurts to ease up a little bit. Ask for others to come up with suggestions of where to go. Leave room for spontaneity and downtime. 
compromise with others, and resist the need to take over control. Number nine, never asking questions. There are so many moments in life when asking a question can show that you care, that you're concerned, and that you want to help out. So if you find that you never take the time to ask others what they think, it might be time to start. When we ask someone a question, we're signaling to them that we care about them and what they have to say. This comes from Tess Brigham. She's a licensed psychotherapist and certified coach. An overbearing person tends to only see their point of view. When you ask questions and really listen to the other person's response, you're showing that person respect and that you value their perspective. It's so easy to pick up a few pushy or overbearing habits, but often just as easy to swap them out for something that leads to healthier relationships and better interactions. Now, we're probably all guilty of a few of those on more than one occasion, but didn't I just say you're never too old to learn something new? That's what we're doing here, exploring positive alternatives to life's little challenges. All you need to do is make a commitment to be open, to learn, and to grow. Going back to my revelation and how I learned the art of being politely persistent without being pushy, I didn't want to get thrown out of the office. I was trying to establish a relationship with the hopes of doing business. Your reasons may be more personal. Persistence is great when it comes to achieving your goals and takes a little restraint and finesse when it comes to dealing with others. And the same thing goes with being pushy. Push yourself all you want, but when it comes to your relationships, take note that everyone is on their own journey at their own pace. Politeness? Well, that's something that no one can ever have too much of. We're going to finish up with six ways to persuade without being pushy from Kevin Dom found at Inc.com. At some point, everyone is trying to persuade someone else of something. You might be selling a product or lobbying for a raise or even just trying to win an argument. Regardless, the harder you push, the more people have a tendency to get defensive and back away. So good persuasion is more of an art. It's a give and take and allows for people to move at their own pace with some steady nudging. There are a number of effective and inoffensive considerations and techniques that can help with pleasant persuasion. So here are a few. Number one, show them what they want and need. Often, talking through a point gets lost. People have a strong inner voice that defends their point of view and blocks out words from their persuader. Circumvent that process with visuals. Charts, graphs, or even cocktail napkins. Sketches can help people see things in a whole new light. Get creative. Given the time, you can use your smartphone to create a simple or engaging persuasive video. Number two, share positives and negatives. Sharing an opposing viewpoint or two is more persuasive than sticking solely to your argument. Very few ideas or proposals are perfect. Your audience knows that, and they know there are other perspectives and potential outcomes. So, meet them head on. Talk about the things they're already considering. Discuss potential negatives and show how you will mitigate or overcome those problems. People are more likely to be persuaded when they know you know 
that they have misgivings. So talk about the other side of the argument and then do your best to show why you're still right. Just kidding. Number three, be inquisitive. It's like the old story of the wind and the sun arguing over who could get a man's coat to blow off. The wind blew and blew, but the man just wrapped the coat tighter. That's exactly how being pushy works. After the wind failed to blow the coat off, the sun simply shone and the man took it off by himself. The best way to influence someone is to align what you want with what they want, which means you have to start by understanding what they want. Number four, find a good reason. The best way to be persuasive is to be able to answer this question. What's in it for them? When you ask someone to do something, you've got to also give that person a reason for doing it. That's in their best interest. When you've got a good reason, then you won't have to be pushy. You'll automatically be the king or queen of persuasion. Number five, take yourself out of the equation. The art of persuasiveness is influential to success and requires confidence. If you go in desperate, your proposal won't fly. You must first take yourself out of the equation. How and why is this decision beneficial to the other party? What about the people they care about, their team, family, or customers? Once you have these two answers covered, consider what you're up against. Your idea or offer has to be better than the other options available. If it's not, go back to the drawing board. Number six, be helpful. Much is written on the topic of persuasion. When to say just the right words to close an important deal or how to move others to your way of thinking. The true secret to being persuasive is to simply be helpful. The ultimate goal of persuasion is to have the power to influence others. Providing knowledge and connections freely makes you a go-to resource. If others seek you out to solve their problems through your network and knowledge, you're in the perfect place to persuade them and convince them that you and your ideas are the solutions to their problems. As we come to a close, let's go through the top 10 key highlights of being politely persistent instead of pushy. Number one, we sell in everything we do. We sell people on our ideas. We negotiate terms. We follow up and we close deals. Number two, developing networking and strong interpersonal skills early helps you get ahead in every aspect of life. Number three, by listening more than you talk, you learn how to ask the right questions at the right time. Number four, only you can move you forward. Number five, one of the ways you can prepare for setbacks and obstacles is to anticipate potential problems and have a contingency plan. Number six, when we're overwhelmed with a problem or difficulty, we don't have time to develop the persistence necessary to deal with a particular obstacle or setback. Number seven. Despite any old adage you may have heard and believed, you can always learn something new. Number eight. 
it can be tough to tell the difference between true assertiveness and habits that come off as too pushy, since they can both deal with getting what you want, telling people what you think, and having things go your way. Number nine, when people are being assertive, they're expressing their needs in direct, open, honest ways while still being respectful of the person's needs and preferences. And number 10, you have to put yourself out there again and again. The best way to improve is to fail. You'll learn from your mistakes and become better. If you want to share Encouragementology with a friend who needs to know they are not alone in this journey of self-discovery, you can visit Encouragementology.com or anywhere you stream your content to receive this episode and all others. Follow us on Facebook for additional encouragement throughout the week. So I challenge you, be willing to commit to self-discovery as you become more aware of what you think, how you react, and how it's perceived. Be diligent in your pursuit, making polite persistence the goal instead of pushy. I know you can do it. Thank you for listening to Encouragementology with Kendall Boyson, where we find positive ways to handle some of life's challenges. Somewhere through until the path was clear, that's when I found you.